up, Internet? His is like Gilligan's Ghetto Island. My name is Matthew Kroll. And every time you tell that story, you're a different age. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the now film In the Heights. Uh, the now film. What is a now film? It is a film that is now. It, it was not a film, <laughs> and now it is a film. Good, good save. And it is a musical, which, as we have discussed on the show previously, is of of despite being an Indian kid who grew up watching Bollywood movies, is definitely a gap in my cinematic knowledge. So it was uh, I was behooved to invite Good someone word. along uh, to help us out with this uh, Herculean task of discussing In the Heights, a movie musical no, directed, um, written by none other than Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is, of course, the poster child uh, of the musical theater uh, world these days, and we reviewed Hamilton recently. But uh, Lin-Manuel was not available, so we got the <laughs> bitter choice of all people. Uh, Ryan Cunningham, who is a Jonathan Larson award-winning lyricist and book writer, uh, a dramatist, a playwright, uh, who has written his off-Broadway musical with uh, composer Joshua Salzman, I Love You Because, uh, which was in the NAMP Festival of New Musicals and went on to be produced all over the world in five languages. Brian, do you speak five languages? I do not. I was not in charge of translating any of those. I, I assume that they accurately translated it, but I have no way of knowing. But uh, also, hi, Ryan. Hi, hello. Ryan. Hello. Hello. Good to be here. I'm thrilled. I've never before been uh, positioned as the backup to Lin-Manuel Miranda in any, in any context. No, so and, I, and I really do want to stress, we didn't even bother inviting him. We, we, we True. went to you first. That I is 100% that. correct. Thank yeah, you. Um, Thank you. How are you doing? You uh, you're located in Windy in Windy City, right? In the Windy City, I'm currently in Chicago, although making moves to move back to to New York. I don't want to jinx it, but I think we bought a house today. So, oh my god, yeah, we're moving back to the big city. We've been here uh, eight years, and we, my wife and I, met in New York City, and we are ready to return back to our the place of our roots. That's very very cool. So I'm in I'm in. Well, actually, she and I are both in Queens. Excellent, excellent. Where, uh, where are, are you moving to? So we can have that sort of like five boroughs battle. Yes. Yeah. So I'm moving to Maplewood, New Jersey. So oh, nice. Uh, so I'm, I'm also familiar with that because yeah. honestly, I lived in Jersey for about four years. I was in uh, it was at a place called Fairfield and Wayne and a couple other spots. So sure, uh, yeah, sure, sure. Nice. Yeah. So uh, nice. when I first started dating my wife, she was in Astoria. So I spent. Much time. I was living in Brooklyn. It was like a long distance relationship. It was like you have to go all the way into the city and all the way back out. But I spent a lot of time in Astoria. When Matt and I first started doing this podcast, which is a lot like dating, by the way, it is. Uh, I would do the same commute. So perhaps we passed each other on maybe exactly a Times Square station. uh, Ryan, I have one question to ask, and it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky question because I was I was like, this is a downer of a question, but I oh good, let's start so, off with a bang <laughs> yeah, right. because you're so invested in musical theater, and 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 I feel like uh, having talked to you for very briefly, musical theater is a passion of yours. I'm curious how the last year has been with Broadway shut down and and the the lack of live performances. I mean, I I'm curious from your point of view what that has meant for you and and how life has been. Yeah, I mean, very practically, I have a day mm-hmm. job in Broadway advertising. Mm-hmm. And so obviously it has decimated mm-hmm. the industry, which then it has decimated the industries around it and advertising mm-hmm. is one of them that's around it. So it has been that has been just challenging professionally, but as far as I think your bigger question is like what is it like to know that that live theater cannot happen um Mm. it's been 
it's been there's been a lot of soul searching, you know, and mm. about like what it is that we offer and the fact that we have gone away for 14 months and the world keeps spinning. Although I think in a at a, in a less brighter hue, um, mm. it is you know it is one of those things. We, and in, in the theater, we always argue that it is necessary, and mm-hmm. I I believe that it is. Um, but at the same point, that the the world kept going even when we shut down. Um, but I think people are craving for it to come back. And what I what I saw throughout the entire um, shutdown was the desire for live performance coming out in all sorts of different ways, you know, and, yeah. and I, I, I teach at Northwestern university and I have students who found ways to tell stories really creatively. You know, initially it was zoomsicals, right? So people mm-hmm. are doing it in the zoom room, but I actually just last week, my students write a musical every single year and they just, they basically made a movie musical. Right. And they made it in a way that like, it seems impossible. They are not allowed because of university rules to interact with each other. So right. they were all required to self-tape the entire musical. So the entire, like, wow. no, never is a person on screen with somebody else. And they cut it together in an amazing way. They had an amazing director named Amanda Tengue. And they put this whole thing together. And uh, I was able to go and see it in a room with all of them with masks on and get yeah. the experience of, like, them watching themselves watch the thing they made come to life in real time. And it was actually the first time I was in a room with more than five people since this all happened. And it was electric. I mean, wow. people getting together to watch you know a version of live performance it's irreplaceable and so while it has been a very hard 14 months knowing that live theater is impossible in a lot of ways um and it i could see that it was never going to go away and that i mean in the very beginning i was a little concerned i was like hey i kind of like sitting on the couch and having a cocktail with my wife and watching netflix and i and i hope the general population doesn't get too used to how comfortable that is you know? <laughs> right. and say like, Oh, maybe I don't want to go to a theater and sit like inches away from a stranger for three hours and pay $20 for a glass of wine. Um, but I think they do. I think that yeah. ultimately it is worth the, it is, it, it is inconvenient, right. To go to live theater. And that is part of its value. That is part right. of how you show up and say like, I want to be part of, of this thing that is different from the experience I am having at home. It isn't as comfortable. You do have to show up at eight o'clock at a very specific time. And if you're late, you miss some of it. You can't TiVo it. You can't watch it later. You can't pause it. Like it's inconvenience is the flip side of its tremendous value that cannot be recreated in any other medium. If anything, yeah. I, I I think COVID in particular was uh, was was particularly cruel for singers and performers because it seemed to the 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 spread of it seemed to be articulated around particle spreading and that and singing of course is the the ultimate manifestation of that with people just yeah. singing loudly and, and and particles flying everywhere so it, it seems particularly cruel that uh, for a lot of people like yourself who seem to have passion for musical theater that uh, that COVID was directly impacting uh, what you do and what you're passionate about well in particular I mean the the theater community has been through challenges before. Um, right. Very specifically in my lifetime, 9-11. And, it was, right. yeah. and, and the Broadway community was very quick to get back on its feet. It was only down for a, a day or two before it came right back. And it was, a, it was an act of defiance. The, mm. the, the theater community said, we are not going to be scared. We are not going to live in fear. Come out and come see a show. Come to New York City. We are not going to change the way that we live because someone is trying to terrorize us. And uh, I think the theater community is used to being like that kind of galvanizing spirit. And in this case, it was actually like, no, singing is dangerous. Like you could kill us all if you if you mm. sing in front yeah. of us. And yeah. like we're super not you. We we are used to being the cheerleaders and a bit of the court jesters, you know. And we're yeah. so not used to being the problem. 
We are always <laughs> either the, the antidote to the problem or we are the escape from the problem. And so right. we're either going right at those big issues and saying like, here's, you know, a, a, dr- a dramatic play about something that you really should be grappling with. Or we're saying, hey, come with me to Mamma Mia for an evening and for, leave your troubles at home. We are, we are very unused to being the problem. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, taking a little trip back in time, then uh, I'm curious what was the what was the perhaps the first time you fell in love with musical theater? Oh, it's as a as a performer. You know, I I went to see a show and I was I was like seven or eight. My brother was in the High School Musical of Hello Dolly, and I could not get through it because I was it was seven or eight, and I was watching High School Performers, and often you can't understand the words, and I wasn't tall enough to see over the seat, you know. but there was always music in my house. And so yeah. I, and my, my, uh, my mom is a singer and my dad's a pianist and we had a piano and all of us took piano. And so we were always, it was always a thing that was around the house and, you know, fell in love with the certainly Christmas musicals. White Christmas was something that was on replay every single year and, and fell in love with the music. But I wouldn't say that I was in love with musicals until I started to do them uh, late middle school, early high school. And, you know, part of that in general theater, people are like, often misfits who find their place, you know, in, and they're like, Oh, I can do this thing. And this is, and there's a collection of other people who have perhaps felt misplaced who have come together and we're going to tell a story together and we're going to get laughs and we're going to get applause and all that kind of stuff. And so once I started performing, it was, I, I have spent the entirety of my life in the theater, both like for my, my writing, also my professional career, also my teaching like everything is is based around theater and it has always been because it is the i think the best community on earth that's beautiful on that note um when when we're looking at something like for instance in the heights i kind of want to even combat uh, a question for you even sort of before that uh, you know unless unless the answer is in the heights though i don't know if it will be i'm curious what some of your favorite if not favorite uh musicals that have been translated into cinema versions of themselves are is there is there one or two that you always gravitate toward are there some you think hit really well are there some maybe even on the opposite end of the spectrum that you're like man i loved this musical but oh boy yeah for sure i mean the when people ask me what my favorite musical is which is a very common question in the musical theater community so i am prepared with an answer it's always a a two a a two-way tie with west side story and guys and dolls and right. what's interesting okay. as it relates to this conversation is West Side Story is a tremendous film. I mean, it is a mm-hmm. it is a great film in and of its own right, like aside from being a great musical. Guys and Dolls is a pretty average film. And so they <laughs> took something that worked really well on stage and managed to kind of mess it up when they brought it to when they brought it to film. But West Side Story, I mean, that is that is a groundbreaking film if you take all the music out, like the way that it is. Uh, filmed the way that it is choreographed. Obviously, you, you need the music for the choreography, but like the, the all of that, like the realism that is there for a, for something that could feel in in musical terms, you often take things and you make them theatrical. They found they found a way to to bring that theatrical lens, which I think is they, something they do really well in, in the Heights as well, to bring that theatrical lens to a naturalistic medium. You know, the the, mm-hmm. the uh, film is such a naturalist. Mo- not all film, of course. There's no. experimental film, and obviously a lot of what happened in avant-garde film in the '70s. But but in general, contemporary film is about recreating naturalism and and musicals are in very defiant in the defiance of that you know yeah. they, they they suppose a certain amount of theatricality which in a, in a theater works instantly like you don't have to give yeah, any course. explanation for why someone's singing in a theater you're like you came to broadway um yeah. as soon as you sit down and it's up against 
uh, other naturalistic films, it's like, well, why are they, there always is this question on film is why are they singing? And I feel like West Side Story answers that absolutely brilliantly. What do, do are you, uh, what's your anticipation levels for whether Steven Spielberg can top Robert Wise's version of West Side Story? Oh, so controversial. I just, I just don't, I just don't see the point. Right. I just yeah. don't, it's, it's like, it's like the, the psycho project. Like that was Gus Van Sant's, Yeah. Yeah. Like it's interesting, <laughs> I guess, but like, what are you doing? I mean, it's, yeah. the trailer looks awesome. I mean, some of those yeah. shots look like the, the cinematography in that looks brilliant, but yeah. it's, it is it is ballsy, I guess. I mean, like, good on him. I mean, he's obviously one of the finest filmmakers who's ever lived, so good on him, but... Yeah. And, yeah, and, and his first musical, I, th- I believe it's his first musical, unless we count in 1940, uh, 1942, was, had some musical elements to it. I think uh, I know why, though. I think I know why it's being done. Uh, what's that stuff we all need to live and makes make society move oh, yeah. around? Yeah, like Spielberg. Spielberg's really hurting Spielberg right now. Spielberg really <laughs> needs it, right? Yeah, he I'm needs not talking about Spielberg. I'm talking about, I'm talking about production companies. I'm talking right. about, like, I mean, it's name brand recognition. It's a super yeah. popular property. They're going to keep remaking everything until uh, the, the, the sun burns out. Uh, I mean, there's no real other reason to remake that film. I mean, and, uh, and you opinion. are right. I will go. I will pay money yeah. and I will go see it. So yeah, you, so, you and I'll, so and I'll, correct. And I'll probably I'm, love it. <laughs> I'm being I'm being snarky, but they already have my money. Yeah, right. So who's who's really the dummy here? It's me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Outside of musicals, uh, where does your cinematic taste uh, lie? You've you mentioned uh, West Side Story and uh, Gus Van Sant's remake of Psycho in in the same breath. I'm really curious <laughs> yeah. where you. I mean, maybe just to to, to sort of narrow the scope down. Uh, you know, I, I know that question of what's your favorite movie is always sure. a challenging one. But like, what's something that you've watched that that has been uh, memorable for you recently? Yeah, sure. I, that wouldn't be recently, but it would be. Um, I'm a very much a child of the '80s and '90s, and mm-hmm. so like the the big blockbusters that had heart and like mm-hmm. before we got to just transformers nonsense like right. you, you uh, ghostbusters was like a, a, a one that i started watching when i was six and now that i have a six-year-old i should not have been watching that when i was six but yeah, my buddy I've, I've recently rewatched it and it is it is a little <laughs> out there yeah <laughs> my, i mean they were action figures yeah exactly you thought it should like our parents didn't it's know it's very sexual <laughs> but yeah. my buddy chris destino had the vhs tape and so yeah. that was probably the first movie that i watched over and over and over again and mm-hmm. like that you know, I, again, I have gone back and watched it as an adult. It is human and it is, that's yeah. why it's funny. Cause like those guys seem like, you know, normal sort of like upstarts who like develop this thing that they, they don't really have any power over and like they shouldn't really know how to make it work. But it's a, it's a very human adventure, even though it has this sci-fi element. And so that's something that I've always been super interested in. Back to the Future, obviously, is the, ex- yeah. is the exact same premise. It's like normal kid who kind of looks like me is like, finds a time machine and they, and they're off to the races, you know, it's like, it's supernatural thing dropped into normal world, which happens in yeah. musicals too all the time. Little Shop of Horrors is exactly that. It's mm-hmm. like normal world where supernatural thing comes and then there's obviously consequences um so that's the kind of stuff i grew up on obviously star wars had a a big made a big impression on me growing up as a kid of the 80s um but then come the 90s like i'm now saying this on a podcast so it's recorded for life but (laughs) if if i'm watching tv and titanic is on i will watch to the end I will watch to the end and I'm not embarrassed to say it. Um, no, it's a great movie. It, it's great. And the, uh, the other, like those, those like big nineties, like, you know, cinematic, another one that I will watch to the end if, if, if even a minute is on TV is Braveheart. Like right. I, yeah. as, as soon as I'm, I'm there and I'm with it all the way to freedom and, and beyond. Um, 
so those are sort of my like you know I I did do as a as a as a theater student I also studied some film stuff and so I did do all the requisite you know art house stuff and the Scorsese and all that kind of stuff but I've always just been a sucker for the stuff that maybe that's why I love musicals I've always been a sucker for the stuff that grabs you by the heart you know right. and like and like I went to Notre Dame so obviously Rudy is like another one yep. where if, yeah. if yep. a minute if a minute of Rudy is on like <laughs> there goes my afternoon like so cancel yeah. all our plans we're watching until he gets carried off the field so like any anything that grabs you by the heart i'm i am an, an unabashed sort of um you know they're all sort of in like the male romantic category like not romantic comedies but like that stuff that like makes guys cry like count me in yeah great man cry movies i imagine goodwill hunting <laughs> is in there as well that, at some oh, point and i'm from boston of course it is yeah. my wife my wife can't take it because as soon as it starts i bring out my boston accent and i'm like <laughs> you slip re- back in for the don't rest you? of the for the rest of the night it's wicked awesome and so yeah, like, yeah. it's, it's over. Card, Harvard Yard, <laughs> pay the guy a quarter <laughs> exactly right exactly but yes goodwill hunting is absolutely that you lose an afternoon as soon as it starts Cycling just one moment back to Ghostbusters. I actually did rewatch it recently. And you know, the scene that actually really caught me by surprise as like, as I was watching going, that is actually a work of genius. I think Dan, Dan Aykroyd was the screenwriter along with Harold mm-hmm. Ramis, I believe. Yeah. Uh, but the scene when where Rick, Rick Moranis is being attacked by the, 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 the dogs or uh-huh. the, the sort of demon dogs, mm-hmm. and it's in, in Central Park, and he runs up to a restaurant, and the, the entire attack takes, takes place through the point of view of the diners <laughs> yeah. who are eating there, and they keep like being bothered by this noise, and then they kind of, and then he gets attacked and dragged away, and then they continue back to the meal. I was like, that's just such a great piece of writing uh, in the middle of this sort of like what could be another chase sequence, another action sequence, another sort of, you know, uh, demonstration of how the demonic powers work in that movie. But it's such a clever moment. Uh, well, also, such an, a great an intense example of how New York City actually functions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's yeah. the thing uh, that, that that movie, and maybe it's why I've, uh, ultimately I moved to New York to pursue my dreams. Like, it's such a love letter to the city. The city is as right. much of a character as any of them, you know? And, right. And they, that's why they all come together at the end to watch them up on the tower. Yeah. Well, speaking of New York movies, we have one to talk about tonight, uh, particularly uh, set in Washington Heights. Matt, could you tell us what In the Heights is about? Sure. Based on what the Internet Movie Database says, In the Heights is a film version of the Broadway musical in which Usnavi, a sympathetic New York bodega owner, saves every penny every day as he imagines and sings about a better life. That is... <laughs> Accurate. 25% accurate. <laughs> yeah. That's the beginning. Uh, it's the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. It's the first 10 minutes. So I uh, will admit that musical theater is something I just, as I've mentioned before, uh, have a enormous gap in my knowledge. Even living in New York City, I've only been to Broadway a couple of times. Um, I think we've talked about this on uh, previous musical episodes, particularly um, uh, La La Land uh, and Cats, uh, that uh, perhaps my favorite musical is, is the most miserable musical of all time, which is Lars von Trier's Dancer in the Dark. Uh, <laughs> and maybe alongside that would be Trey Parker and Matt Stone's South Park. Um, so do with that what you will. However, uh, uh, I was obviously taken by the phenomenon that is Lin-Manuel Miranda. And uh, what came to us uh, in 2020 was the opportunity to see Hamilton uh, on Disney Plus as a filmed piece uh, performance, uh, which I was uh, quite struck by and uh, quite enraptured by. Uh, however, I had not seen In the Heights prior to uh, seeing the movie adaptation by John Chu. Uh, I'm curious, uh, both of you, uh, had you seen In the Heights before or, or, or known much about it prior to seeing this movie adaptation? 
Yeah, I had seen it when it was uh, when it was on Broadway. It was after Lin Manuel Miranda had left, so I saw it as right. a, with a replacement cast. But yeah, I had, I had seen it just as a, a fan of musical theater, and at, once it won the Tony, the, you know, you you got to go and see the the best musical of the year every single year. So I had come in, I did come in with a certain amount of knowledge of it. And and what did you think of it as a as a uh, as a Broadway uh, show? Oh, in the first place, yeah. Not not as a film. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it's wonderful. They, they they have very much captured in the film what was on stage as far as like the spirit of it, that it was a celebration of a neighborhood. It's a really interesting piece in that it is, um, you know, often in musicals there's this like central narrative thrust that that mm-hmm. goes through and like Wicked is a great example where you you have Elphaba and you know what she wants. She wants to meet the wizard and then she's off to the wizard in, in Wicked, right? And mm-hmm. like that and everything that happens is following off of that central narrative. And then there's and then there's other musicals like Company that are more mm-hmm. by Stephen Sondheim that are more like um, mood musicals, right? And so mm-hmm. like that whole musical takes place in theory and kind of a fantasy around his birthday. And then it's not, a, there isn't a narrative. It's actually a bunch of, of sequences, almost sketches about, about marriage and songs that kind of comment on the sketches that have just happened. And I feel it, 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 they often refer to it as a concept musical. This mm-hmm. sort of seems to be something that lives between those two places. There isn't really a central narrative thrust where um, you have someone who wants something and then goes out and, and necessarily gets it. You know, you are understanding what Uznavi is, is trying is grappling with about moving back mm-hmm. or staying. In mm-hmm. New York, but it but it isn't like the you know I'm, I'm sure as film folks you've got the you know here with a thousand faces and and the sort of you know Campbellian uh, yeah. journey all that kind of stuff it doesn't really have that what it does do is it drops a you know in the case of the movie a camera or in the case of the of the stage production you into a neighborhood. And there are stories, there's more of a narrative thrust than there is in Company, but there's less of one than there is in Wicked. And you're just kind of around this community. And that was what was really exciting about sitting in the, in the audience um, of, the, of the stage show. You just felt like you were being dropped into a world. Right. Yeah. And uh, I, I was not familiar with the, with the musical before watching the, the film version. But I will say that is one thing I did notice and, uh, and sort of did enjoy. Uh, and I, 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 I will bring it into a, a another medium. Uh, it had a very, what I would consider an open world video game feel. Mm-hmm. It felt like yeah. okay, here's this, here's this map or this city or this part of this borough, and uh, you're going to interact with a bunch of interesting people, and you're going to learn a bunch of sort of, uh, I, I would even say like, I guess a bunch of medium sized stories. And you might gravitate towards one more than the other, but they all kind of tie together because they all know each other. Uh, and that's sort of the, the I think one of the, the strengths of this piece is that it it kind of trusts in its audience to sort of grab on to, I guess, the quote, main character that they would actually want to in these particular situations and make everything fun enough where if you don't for a specific arc, uh, you don't mind it. Like you're like, ah, oh, this makes sense. This is more meta contextual narrative for the entirety of this place. Um, so yeah, no, I totally get that. It was one and, of the things that made me made me wonder how it would translate to screen because I think it's something yeah. that can be tolerated in the theater a little bit better than um, than it can be on screen, or at least be something that it, that that I think theater audiences are a bit more used to. Yeah, you know, right. I think that like, like every Marvel movie is it has that narrative thrust, which is why you're yeah. just you get on the roller coaster and you just go. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I wondered, I was like, how do you translate a, a a stage show that is about a community into a format and into a medium that is so associated with main character, 
gets the call, rejects the call, <laughs> answers the call, goes yeah, yeah. out and finds the mentor, like all that mm. kind of stuff is in all that. And, and that's not here. And so, and so I wondered how it would translate to screen. And I thought it translated to screen beautifully. From just, just uh, again, taking a little sidestep here, uh, as uh, a person who studies this uh, to, to uh, such, a, such a degree, I'm curious, what is, what is the technical quality or perhaps the, the soulful quality that makes Lin-Manuel Miranda kind of the poster child for uh, musical theater these days? Like, what is so special about him and his work that, that everyone's kind of gravitating towards? You know, I, I believe he's won the MacArthur um, yeah. Genius Prize as well, yeah. yeah. I would argue, I would argue it's it's honesty combined with uh like craftsmanship and dexterity. I mean mm. it, it is there was a time there was a time pre Lin Manuel and 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 he is not the only person who is doing this for sure but he is he is certainly the one of the best if not the best at it. Where like doing a musical the, the mu- musicals felt the need to apologize for the fact that they were a musical. Right. Yeah. So the producers kind of did that. Like, isn't this right, funny? You're in yeah. town. I mean, very explicitly did that. And like the joke in the early 2000s was aren't musicals dumb? And that mm-hmm. was in a lot of things. And it's a little bit in the Book of Mormon, frankly, which yeah, I, thought was, Mormon, hilari- I, I thought was hilarious yeah. and great. Um, but there's there that, that was like this ethos that ran through like we know musicals are dumb, but aren't they fun? And so maybe it's OK. And what Lin-Manuel Miranda did is he didn't apologize at all. He came at it and he said, I love musicals. I have studied musicals. He, he went to a performing arts high school. He performed in musicals all the time. And he said, I also love this other kind of musical or other kind of music. And I think they are compatible. And, right. and that is, um, you know, I think it's amazing the kind of music that he has put onto the Broadway stage. The idea of putting contemporary music onto the Broadway stage has been throughout the entirety of Broadway's history, right? And taking, take, like, Oklahoma is doesn't sound like music from that time period. It doesn't sound right. like, you know, country music or whatever it might be from that time period. It sounds like the kind of music that Richard Rodgers and Oscar Hammerstein liked and wrote and feel, felt like contemporary theater music. And the same thing is true of um, Jesus Christ Superstar, right? In the 70s, right. you have Andrew Lloyd Webber like telling an old story with contemporary music. And so it, it, seem, it seems to be like mind-boggling to people every time it happens. And it happens like every six years. <laughs> that, like, yeah. It's an old story with new music. How did he do it? Yeah. It's like, of course, that's what musicals have always been. And I think Lim just does it incredibly well. And obviously he was the first person to do it with R&B and hip hop and mm-hmm. or specifically hip hop, not necessarily R&B, but, but he's yeah. the first person to do it with, with hip hop. And like that, I think just took the scales off people's eyes saying like, oh, musicals are, are not so different from the kind of music that I listen to. And these things can coexist in the same world. He's also just a tremendous lyricist and a tremendous storyteller. And so, you know, you can be earnest and honest and not make fun of musicals all you want. But if you don't have the lyrical (laughs) dexterity of Lin-Manuel Randa, like who cares, you know? Um, And he's a, and he's just a great, great storyteller. Like I sat, I sat in the audience of Hamilton and, and I kept thinking, what happens next? And, you know, in in your cinema world, that's always the thing that you need, you want people to be asking. And it's how you know when your scene's too long, you need to edit it and cut it because you want people always saying Mm -hmm. what happens next. And he is very, very good at doing that in song form. So you are always leaning forward. You are never, you're never um, sat back in your seat and saying, well, like, let's, let's wrap up this one. He is, he is just always pushing you forward. I think that was a that was kind of a um, as again as a person not well versed in musical theater that was a surprising thing about Hamilton for me was how how uh, compelling it was 
over the. I mean, I think I believe the adaptation was two and a half hours. Yeah. Well, the 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 um, the, the film, the version that appeared on Disney Plus was two and a half hours, and not for a minute did I stare at my watch during that, and you know, not for a minute was I uh, bored by that. In fact, I felt I went on a journey in that particular uh, performance, and and I I think we both put ahead it as one of our films of the year last mm-hmm. year. Um, so this was a, as you say, uh, has that uh, alternative quality to it, which is that it, uh, much like Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats, which we we reviewed Tom <laughs> Hooper's adaptation of recently, um, it, it can be a startling experience in the cinematic uh, for a film goes, which is that it is a film that is not driven by narrative, but is more driven by here is this person, and now here is this person, and here is yep. this person, and now here is this person. And there is a central community around which that is built, but it is not driving towards uh, a central catharsis that is meaningful in the way that you know a, a film experience might, a narrative film experience might be. Right. And so uh, to, to sort of sum up my initials experience of In the Heights, uh, which is that I saw it, um, you know, I've owned only seen the film adaptation of it. I was struck by how um, incomplete I felt by the narrative experience of In the Heights. I did think it was a beautiful celebration of a neighborhood. The, the first few minutes of it, I think we do have to take a moment to acknowledge the, the sort of the wonderful, uh, and it's the reason I asked that, that first question about how you felt about 2020, uh, you know, with musical theater being shut down. There was this moment uh, when Anthony Ramos starts singing at the beginning of uh, In the Heights when I felt joy at the idea that New York was coming back, yeah. that performance was coming back, that, that this was a cinematic experience that celebrated community and people getting together, which was such the antithesis of what we'd all lived through for the last year. <laughs> yeah. um, and there was, like, there, was a, there was a lump in my throat for at least 20 minutes of this movie just in the fact that there was this celebration happening in front of me of all the things that we had missed out for the last year or the things that we had kind of had to put aside for the last year and so it was joyous and beautiful and, I, and in an odd way um, I, I said this on last week's episode I was expecting In the Heights to be you know to be the movie of the year in terms of w- without having seen it at that point um, because of everything that I understood what In the Heights stood for which is that the, the resurgence of New York City the celebration of community, the 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 multiculturalism of it all, the, the the celebration of a New York or an American spirit that is built upon diversity, uh, when that has been challenged so much in the last year, um, well, not just the last year, but you know, for many years. Um, but I will say this: um, the my the. I often find that the reason I am not compelled by musicals, um, again, despite growing up on uh, on Bollywood movies, um, uh, is that I do find I my not just my patient wears thins, but but my the the actual mechanics of a musical, which is you know narrative, and then let's stop and sing a song, and then you know continue and stop and sing a song. That tends to wear me down after about twenty or thirty minutes. Yeah, Uh, and then I'm kind of. You know, I, there's a sort of process that I'm kind of uh, expecting that's uh, cyclical. That you know, like okay, we're going to stop and do a song here. We're going to stop and do a song here. And 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 I did find that that came back for me uh, in this particular case, which wasn't there in Hamilton. Um, so I'm curious about. I, I, I'm not exactly sure. I, I wonder if that's not a, not a bug but a feature uh, in this particular case. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but it is. For, for me personally, a sort of a difficult hump that I have to personally get over. And I'm curious how you both, both of you navigate that or whether that's an issue for you at all. 
I mean, uh, for me, I, I, um, it's weird. I totally get where you're coming from, and 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 from a from a production uh, bang for your buck value skill on display, like this thing is a feast for your eyes and your and your senses. It does feel like a place. It feels like a really interesting world and group. Um, it, it, it's beautiful. The the dance numbers I think are excellent. Uh, I think all the actors actually uh, truly bring it. Uh, uh, both both acting wise and and lyrically, um, or, or or the sounds of their voices, but I will say I, I do actually kind of agree with you, Shahir. The the I'm gonna go back to my video game analogy because that's the <laughs> world I understand. Uh, the thing about open world video games is you look at them and you're like, oh my gosh, this thing is so cool! Like look at all this stuff, it feels so complete and da 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 da. And when you get sort of into it and you try to get close to any one certain point. You start seeing the cracks in it, like but they they focused on making the the macro feel so complete that when you get down to some nitty gritty uh, and some micro elements, you're like, oh, I see the invisible walls, I see the the bits sort of not fully there, and I gotta say, um, it's so strange because Hamilton again. I would never, like you said, Sheer, never looked at my watch. Never looked at it once. I was in it, an intermission. I was like, oh my God, I got to get back to this. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come <laughs> on. This, I was like, I had to get up and use the restroom. So I paused. I'm like, oh, I'm about halfway through. This is great. And I click it and it was like 23 minutes. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and 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 that that did shape my experience with it. I, I, I'm, so, I'm, I'm really glad to be talking about it with both of you. Um, and Ryan, you in particular, because I have, I have some questions that I want to eventually get to to sort of maybe shed some light on some on some choices that could have possibly been made. But like, it's been a long time since I've been able to look at a thing and be like, "Look at that! That is technically excellent, and the world you've built is amazing." Feeling, I'm bored, <laughs> and and I don't like. I am having a really hard time putting that those two very disparate feelings together. Uh, and we'll get into a little bit more, I guess, as we go, but that's kind of where I landed. I, I For being so engrossed in, in something like Hamilton and musicals in general, we didn't really talk about my, my history with it. I, I, I don't seek out musicals, but most every time I see them, I do fall in love with them. I weirdly, uh, I have a super soft spot for Avida, the the musical and the film. Even sure. uh, I uh, Moulin Rouge. I know just a film, but like it it uh, that always speaks to me. Um, I, I I like I like the conceit of when emotions are too high. You burst into song. Mm. Uh, I really enjoy the exercise of it. I think maybe my last point might be that other than the opening number and um, the Abuela's song, uh, sung by, oh my gosh, uh, um, I'm trying to remember the actress's name. Uh, oh, Olga uh, Meredith. Olga, Olga Meredith. Uh, holy, like, it's funny. I was in a malaise and then that number hit and I was like, oh, here's the musical. And like I just zoned. I was like, "This is it. 
this is this thing, and then it never hit it again. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I I have very very disparate feelings across the board here. What, uh, what's super interesting about what you guys are both saying is you are you're basically describing musical theater history, which which <laughs> I, get, I I teach at Northwestern. So the genesis of musical theater history um, is that there there were there was musical storytelling in in New York, you know, in the in the late 19th century and it was mostly operetta that was, you know, had been brought over or at least a taste for it had been brought over from, from Europe, particularly by English settlers. And they had this taste for Viennese operetta. And that was like what, what was out in the world. But there was also this review stuff and the review stuff was like, was, was vaudeville and it was reviews. People, you'd have a comedy performer. You'd have someone that right. you'd have the love duet. Then you'd have the, then you'd have the whatever comedy number. Then you'd have the juggling act or whatever it was. Audiences are a little bit more down and dirty and they're expecting a little bit more of a down and dirty experience where the, where all these different performers are coming on and doing kind of one-offs and people mm-hmm. would kind of come and go depending on when they were free. And it wasn't necessarily that you'd sit down for a three hour cinematic experience or narrative experience. And the history of musical theater is the, is the meeting of the, those two worlds and so like who can you know it was really in um, 1927 when uh, showboat happened which is jerome kern and oscar hammerstein when they were able to like kind of bring these two things together tell a narrative but still deliver on the expectations of a vaudeville review audience you're still going to get your love duet you're still going to get your comedy number you're still going to get your whiz bang opening number you're still going to have a number with lots of pretty girls like that's all going to be covered but we're also going to insert a narrative. And so what it seems like you guys are responding to, which is super interesting, especially as it relates to In the Heights and Hamilton, is In the Heights seems to be a, a, a younger work. And it was a younger work. I mean, Lin-Manuel started writing it when he was 19. And so it is... He's, he's doing kind of the review thing. He's like, what if we right. did this kind of song from this kind of person and this kind of song from this kind of person? And what if we turn the camera over here and we turn or our lens, whatever, theatrical lens over here, or we turn our theatrical lens over here, and then you get a sense of a review of Washington Heights. And that's really right. what the show is. And then with Hamilton is when he sits down and says, actually, what if we do Showboat? What if we do, yeah. or actually more accurately, what if we do Oklahoma? What if we do like right. a really central narrative that is about Curly, you know, in Oklahoma, yeah. and Curly and Laurie, or in this case, Alexander Hamilton, and we like really put a narrative spine through it. And like that is the thing that happens in musical theater all the time. It is like the war of these two worlds, which is... The need to go and have a song. I mean, songs have song form, and there's like a there is a once a song starts, if it is within a song form, it needs to like reach that satisfying conclusion, and we all feel what song form is. Um, and and it, it does not have to be at odds with narrative, but sometimes it is, <laughs> and sometimes right. it's like they got to get to the end of the song before we can move on. Cause if there's not a, you know, if you guys are familiar with music, like a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, if we don't get the bridge chorus, it doesn't feel like a song, but yeah. if you want narrative, then you're like, well, lop off the bridge chorus. Like nothing's happening there. And, and the best of musicals are the ones that are able to do both, which is what Hamilton does. Yeah. It is, it is able to make the bridge, a development of the character, a development of the action. So when you get to the final chorus, everything has changed. And that's the stuff that the best of musicals do is that, you know, in theory, the song should not be a moment when you stop and just get some music. A character should be different at the end of the song as they are at the beginning of the song, which is the same thing in an action movie. You know, like yeah. mm-hmm. Die Hard is interesting because at the end of every action sequence, things are different. Different. 
He is, yeah. yes, he is transformed or the situation is transformed or one of them is dead and then therefore Hans Gruber is angrier or whatever it is. Like there's an escalation of drama in every action sequence. None of them are just action sequences for the sake of it, which not to beat up on Transformers, but that's what happens in Transformers is like, <laughs> yeah. here yeah. come the awesome robots. And when you're on the other side of it, it's, it's not different than it was before, except for the awesome robots are no longer chasing them. And yeah. I'm, I, that's a really interesting point. And I think, I think you've kind of un, unlocked something that I was struggling with in terms of musical theater. Um, but I'm curious then the translation of that into cinema, because the thing that you've mentioned was the, the sort of the review approach. And the film that I can kind of think of uh, off the top of my head that, that kind of taps into this uh, spirit uh, in some way is Richard Linklater's film Slacker, uh, which is you know sort of a meandering look at uh, Austin, Texas, with people kind of coming into the story and having their little segue and then leaving the story uh, ultimately. And there is no sort of like overall narrative thrust. It's more it becomes more of a milieu uh, of people celebrating uh, a, a, an area and a time in life. Yeah. Um, uh, Terrence Malick is really great in this with a uh, with a couple of his recent films like Songs for. Um, songs for song i think it was called um so i'm curious then in terms of that 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 sort of the spirit of the review theatrical experience which is which by the sounds of it in its initial heyday was so that you could walk in at some point and walk out and and not really feel like you were missing out on the entire experience yeah as that translate to a cinematic experience the the two that touch points that we've had for this in the last you know, couple of years is cats and now this, and cats is obviously um, uh, is a somewhat Different. disastrous adaptation <laughs> in that yeah. uh, it didn't seem to capture what what it captured of the the sort of theatricality of its of uh, of the stage play didn't translate well into this seated theater uh, cinematic experience. I'm curious then how the what you've just described in, as a review kind of approach how that translated to a cinematic experience for in the heights and you've seen both um you know i'm curious you know like how those experiences were different for you yeah i mean in the in the in the in the theatrical in the cinematic storytelling mm-hmm. of in the heights it is much more distilled than the mm-hmm. than the than the stage version um, right lin-manuel referred to it as like a, a concentrated version for exactly these reasons like they like right. the, there is just an expectation on film that you are that you are being thrust through narrative propelled, and, yeah. propelled exactly and so they did they melt they cut stuff they they moved some things around they um they made sure that that song for Abuela is is that is not the way it is presented in the stage play at all as this like <laughs> fantasy dream sequence of her coming from Cuba and coming to America and the trains and all that kind of stuff. That was all an invention of the film. And and th- that helps to do some of that storytelling. And, you know, with when you are making a movie, you have some um you have some tools at your disposal that you don't have on the stage, like a moving camera, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. so and so as a as a st- I do some stage directing, you are often working with the actor to make sure the actor is carrying that narrative forward. And so that the, again, to go back to that song form thing that like that AABA, which is a very standard American songbook song form that that first a is the second a is different than the first a. The B is a development of where that person was in the first and the second a. And then the, finally they arrive at something you can do that with, with uh, cinematic storytelling with, um, you know the hold on with the the song uh, when the sun goes down you know mm-hmm. like in in the stage play it's just the two of them standing kind of on either end of the stage singing at each other and singing into the audience about being in love and then in yeah. the in the cinematic version they are like dancing around on buildings i mean it's really 
astounding. And they're, yeah. what they're able to do is if they aren't na- necessarily able to put narrative storytelling into the into the song, they are able to put narrative like cinematography into the produ- visual storytelling. And, and visual storytelling into the production. Exactly right. Yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned that uh, when the sun goes down because that was the one for me where I really felt personally a disconnect in terms of what that moment was supposed to be and what I think I was getting out of that moment. Now, I wonder if, it, again, that sort of bug versus feature kind of approach to it, which is that the recognition of, oh, this is that song that I loved when I saw on the stage play is kind of the thing, and now it's being translated into the cinematic experience. And, and, and yes, the translation of it is staggering. The, the sort of dancing on the walls kind of recalls, uh, I think it was Fred Astaire when he you know, danced on the ceilings yeah, yeah, um, exactly right. in... in, in um, uh, you know, Royal so wedding. long ago. Yeah. Um, but and of I, course, Christopher Walken in Weapon of Choice. Well, of course, Christopher Walken <laughs> um, in the Fat Boy Slim video. Um, but I was struck by I was in that particular moment very unclear what the visual metaphor was doing. And and while I thought it was beautiful and staggering, and and, and I had seen the trailer because I'd worked on a show about it, um, and and so I, I was like, oh, this moment's going to be staggering. I was kind of wondering, asking myself, both narratively, what this moment was supposed to be, because I felt that I hadn't quite been built up to it throughout the film. You know, I, I was just like, okay, now they're just kind of together and they're, they're heading off into the, into the sunset, so to speak. But also visually, I was kind of like, while this is absolutely gorgeous to look at and is quite a breathtaking moment, and I did feel a little bit like the kid inside the house as their foot, feet were on the yeah. window, I was like, why are we doing this now? Like, what what is it about this? Whereas every other musical piece kind of felt understandable as in constructed within the world that they live in. That felt so fantastically out of the world that I wasn't, I was very unclear as to like how to feel about that particular scene. I'm curious how you felt about it. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was gorgeous. One of the, but one of the things that we talk about in theater all the time, and I'm sure again, in, in, in movie storytelling, it's the same thing, is a hat and a hat. And so like that idea, like is, you know, as, as a director, you are always trying to break things down to the simplest form and to make sure that in the theater in particular, that everything is as actor powered as possible. Mm -hmm. And so what I wonder that you're responding to is that it becomes not as actor powered. It becomes, Mm -hmm. and it's, and it's a very human moment between these two people who are really falling in love with each other and the camera is taking over. And the, and right. the, and like the, the technical process is taking up where you, you find your, as, as a lyricist, you're always trying to make yourself invisible. Yeah. And I think Jonathan, John Chu is not invisible. No, not in, in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> in that moment at all. at all. And you become very aware. Again, I thought, it, I thought it was beautiful. And I thought like, what an interesting way to take a thing that was on stage and just two people and make it something more. But yeah. I, I agree with you that in that moment, I became super aware of the director and the yeah. cinematographer and like the production designer and, and the maybe, visual effects of it all. Yeah. And, and maybe and, lost the narrative uh, and maybe lost touch with the character. Yeah. Which, is, I, I, which I, doesn't I, have to be bad in, in, in general. I, I found that moment. I was kind of, cause it is so disparate from a lot of the other numbers. In fact, the only other remotely fantastical thing is the Abuela song. Cause it just moves through time period and things. But we understand but, why the Abuela song yes, so is the, the, doing the what it's doing. Like we understand what the visual language is doing there. That's what I'm getting to. Yeah. The the tricks that we are being given, the tools, the techniques, the craft that we are seeing for that song 
are in service of a very specific emotional through line of that piece. Where this one was like, yeah, but what if we had them dance on the walls? Yeah. And it's neat, and you see the bridge, and the sun's real pretty, and it's gorgeous. But I was like, and I guess like they're in love, so that's good. But but also that that the, and I guess this is sort of like because this is the culmination of that story. But yeah. it is a story that I have been oddly disconnected from the entire film. And as a film going experience, I was kind of like, oh, okay, is that where this story is going? And it has the it, it's I guess in the analogy that you've presented, it's like we're having the crescendo for for a song for which I have not heard the first or second verse at this right, point. Right, right, right. And the, and the, and the, and, and to be, to be fair, again, it's weird. Maybe, maybe we're just looking for things to latch onto mm -hmm. in that particular moment, because I will say it in this presentation of these stories, uh, I know they're not the point because I think no one character is the point, but when you have two fairly prominent romances sort of going on, both just felt like they, they didn't feel this is going to sound terrible, but they didn't feel purposeful to me. It's like, oh, there we got these four characters and two of them, or four of them technically are going to, they're going to fall in love because that's what happens. Yeah. And they just, and it's and like, they basically just kind of work out. And yeah, they work out. out. <laughs> like, it's, it's cool. Like, that's cool. And, and you know, it, it, but they, they put like on, um, Usnavi, uh, Usnavi's relationship with, uh, not Nina, um, Vanessa, uh, like it's the it's sort of a classic sort of like tale and like I don't know maybe I'm jaded from films at this point but the second he was talking to kids on the beach in the beginning and the little girl that looks very much like <laughs> Vanessa I was yeah. like oh okay all right and then and then the other one like you said you here I felt like I didn't get a lot of time like I got a little bit of like uh, longing. Um, for, from uh, from Corey Hawkins Benny, but like I didn't really like I don't know. It felt it, like it, again. It's that it's that I, I am interested <laughs> in what these characters are doing and where they are living. Why am I bored? Like I know I know that like I'm like oh my gosh I really is he gonna sell the the dispatch like <laughs> shit? But, but like. In the moment to moment, I'm like, there's an hour and a half left. Well, also, we live in the future, so we know that like he should sell the dispatch because Uber yeah, is yeah. coming. <laughs> you don't want to hold on to one of those medallions at this point. Yeah, exactly. Uber is coming. <laughs> Get out of the way. Lift, sell it. Yeah. But but I'm I'm curious because that is also one of the lifts that have come out of the stage play to film adaptation is the story of Kevin and Benny, uh, and Kevin has uh, somewhat of a disdain for Benny. Um, as I understand it from the play, because uh, Benny is black and and he is, uh, you know, like he demonstrates his sort of prejudice in that way. And that's that story kind of predicates the difficulty that Benny has with Nina, you know, like like uh, their romance is kind of doomed. And, you know, like there's a Romeo and Juliet quality to it all. Um, but that is not present in the film. Um, in fact, uh, Benny and Kevin are seem to be uh, mutually respectful of each other and have a, a clear understanding of where they stand. And and the the story of of Benny kind of rushing into the night to to um, continue the dispatch during the blackout uh, is you know as you say just kind of resolves itself and it is not too much of a deal. So I'm curious then. How for for you, Ryan, who've seen who's seen both the adaptations, does the does it feel missing, or are you kind of like using your experience from the theater 
to kind of fill in the gaps there or or how do you feel about it as a film i mean frankly i saw the stage version 13 years ago something like that right so, like, do I, yeah. so that it's not fresh <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, i don't know there was like a pandemic like i don't remember anything before <laughs> february 2020 yeah. um so i i did not notice and i what i imagine is it's it's, it's about that concentration you know that yeah. that lin-manuel talked about that like that's a really big issue and it's and it's probably a much bigger issue to touch on now than it yeah. was and uh, the, the film was made pre-pandemic but uh but even still in 2019 it was probably it was probably um barbed in a way that it that it it was it was probably a thorny issue to deal with in in 2008 whatever it was but it's it's different and so i wonder it 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 does have the uh, potential to overwhelm the film and so was it more about like hey what we really want to focus on are certain things about this community and the and the spirit of this community let's make sure we we zero in on that and we don't and we don't necessarily need to show um you know as many warts, you know, I, I think yeah. that the the the, um, the film does a great job of being a celebration of this community, and that isn't yeah. to necessarily like remove any like any sense that a Hispanic person could be racist, you know, like but it, yeah. but it is to say let's let's stay positive in the film version because we <laughs> because because there's not been a there's not been a movie musical that is full of Hispanic people before, you know, right? And so yeah. like let's let's elevate that and make that as good as possible, and maybe maybe shift the storytelling onto that as much as we can but at the same time and again i feel like i'm just going to be this naysayer throughout the entire process but like at the same time the story of um sunny and the fact that he's a dreamer and this sort of is touching on the issue of like uh dreamers um uh rights being taken away from them um and and it looks like he may not be able to enroll in college there was something very surface level about the way that story gets dropped into the film and then it essentially its resolve is that Nina decides she go, is going to go back to Stanford, uh, Stanford to, to study law in order to help, uh, Sonny or people like Sonny. Um, but, but, but I, I guess what I'm sensing there as well as the omission of Kevin's disdain for Benny, uh, and Nina is a sense of conflict that is kind of propelling that story forward. You know, like yeah. we are just told, Hey, Sonny. Oh, by the way, Sonny's a dreamer. Here's a protest that he went to. Nina sees the protest and then decides she's going to, it resolves her story. What's missing from that feels like the push pull of conflict that makes that decision, you know, um, get forced upon these characters so that they're forced to choose. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the sense of that is, uh, something I felt very, like a glaring omission. You you mentioned sort of taking away the warts of the story, but it kind of leave, leaves you with a sense of, well, what is the what is the stakes here? Like, what is yeah. the thing that we are kind of drawn towards here? One of the things that I talk a lot about in my in my class is that every musical needs to be having an argument with itself. Yeah, and both sides of that argument, need, and I always reference Star Wars. Both sides of that yes. argument need to be equally valid, and I think that yes. Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader have equally valid arguments. And Luke's is that there is good and bad. And Darth's is there is no good and bad. There is just power and those who are too weak to take it. And right. like they, so they, they can both exist in the same world and, and both be narrative, they both be coherent, right? Yeah. And even though they believe very, very different things. And I, Darth Vader's like thought process is coherent. And it, yeah. but, it, but it completely comes in conflicts with Luke's, right? And Yoda's and the rest of the gang. Um, yeah. And so what I do think is missing from this show is, is any sort of argument. It is, and, yeah. and I think what they did was they traded... They traded argument for celebration. 
And what they said instead was, we are going to celebrate this community and we are, we are not going to, we are not going to show like the, the other side of the dreamer argument that like, actually only people who should be allowed to be here are people who were born here and whatever it might be. Like they, like they're, they, they, I think rightly said like, there is no need to have that conversation in this film. And instead we're just going to go ahead and celebrate the community. You know what's interesting? You, you did. So they did. They they chose to show celebration. They chose to 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 highlight the community over the individual. I think I might have hit why I I did not connect with this, <laughs> and it might just be that because, and maybe this might even be why I think, and from what you've described anyway, it might work very well as a stage performance because there's. Okay, let's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna zip this all right back. So, pandemic times. Have we all noticed that, like we are doing now through Zoom and all of that jazz, human interaction doesn't feel as good. <laughs> Shahir and I used to do this in person, yeah. and it was much more like engaging. Whatever Zoom, I, I always call is very vampiric, right? Like yeah. we, all three of us, are giving energy, but we are not really getting it back to the fault of no one else on this call. Right, it's right. just there's something about being in a room with a human being that you are discussing something with that can actually make a thing elevate and resonate yeah. right okay so when you are looking at something like in the heights which which uh is a a love letter to a community it's like it's like one big party right yep. and you are invited to that party and i feel like on stage that probably comes across a lot more because you are there yeah and you feel like you're a part of yep. it i think with this uh, while still maintaining that sort of narrative through line of no real full narrative through line, just stuff happens to characters that you like, when it's presented to you, even skillfully in a cinematic manner, there's not an emotional connection because it feels like you're watching a video of a super cool party you're not at. And <laughs> and and while you are interested in these people and you'd love to talk to them at a party and get to know them... Yeah. No one is given the narrative time to let that actually happen in the way it works in movies. Yeah. I think that's where I land. I think that's my explanation as to my weird I mean, feeling. And, and thank answer, you for helping me. No, get and there. the answer to that might be that like you should watch it the way you watched it, which is in like twenty-three minute chunks. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like make yourself a drink, watch twenty-three minutes, then then move come on back for to, a song. Yeah, come, exactly, yeah. exactly, and experience else, yeah. it the way you experience a party. Yeah, and, I, I don't and, know. Like, uh, yeah. For me, the celebration of like the community, like I, I love like little details like condensed milk and the uh, condensed milk in your coffee. Yeah. You know, like I just thought that was just like this great little touch. And I was like, man, I do miss bodegas and like those weird little touches that you get, you know, like when you go to a bodega and ask for milk and they don't have any. Um, I'm, I miss little touches like the King George song is the hold music. Did anyone yeah, notice that right? on the phone when he's uh, when they're I think they're waiting in, in a ditch the dispatch thing someone's on hold and it's in terms of the the sort of celebration stuff as well the other film that kind of kept ringing in my in my brain was was Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing um, you know just that sort of sense of this is uh, a milieu of people that are kind of like forced against each other uh, and the su- and the summer heat is oppressive and it is you know like and and this is what it's like to live in New York City and it was like uh you know and that's not what we had in the last year so it was kind of just beautiful to see that yeah um but at the same time yeah that that sort of narrative thrust and again no greater uh a moment again being the naysayer for this but the the sort of the compelling idea that there was this sort of 
Dusik machina that was going to be dropped into the story at some point with the blackout. You know, the, the blackout yeah. is teased. It's going to be we're two days from the blackout, three days from the blackout, one day from the blackout. I did like that structure. I will say I, that. I did like that structure as well. That Again, that reminded me of um, P.T. Anderson's Magnolia, you know, when they, they keep flashing to the wither, um, you know, in the, the chance of rain. And eventually we see what that rain means narrative-wise for that film, which is not at all what you expected. Um, and in the case of this, the blackout comes... And yes, there is a significant event that happens within the blackout, but not because of the blackout. And and post the blackout, there's not a lot of consequence for what happened for, for the blackout, other than it's very hot. I do like there is a the performance that that happens um, in the sort of back alleys when when people are saying you know, we survived the heat. How can we not survive through this? And it is this sort of celebration of Dominican and Puerto Rican, you know, like these sort of all communities coming together and and song and dance. I I did really like that, but I did find that there was a sort of teasing of structure that never came to fruition for me. And I was just kind of like, more than anything, I think, Matt, you kind of hit on this as well. I was like, I was missing the idea that this would really work if you were in the room with performers. And it's the same thing with cats in a, in a weird way, which is that this really works when people, you know, when when performers are dancing down the, the aisles as cats, you know, like the, that sort of that tangible sense of there's a person in front of you um, as opposed to a construction of of an idea. And I, but I do know uh, fundamentally as well is that movies can do the sort of meandering movies can do sure. the review approach movies can be uh, non narrative, but there's something about the way this is sort of tying itself together that isn't connecting for me. And I, 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 I you know, yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. I've been thinking about movies while you guys have been and referencing a variety, and I think a lot about Clerks, which of course, I think yeah. does yeah. exactly that. And I think the yeah. other one I think about is Swingers. And yeah. in both of those were like guys who decided to write about themselves. And they were just right. like, what? I don't know what to write about. I, I, I work at this video store. What if we just turn the camera on and like may do this? And same thing with Swingers. Like that was just yeah. about Jon Favreau and his friends, right? And yeah. that does seem to be what Lin-Manuel Miranda did. It was just like, I'm just going to, I'm, and I think it is what young writer, it is what I did. I mean, the, the musical yeah. that you referenced at the beginning, I love you because is about yeah. me and my friends like trying to date in New York city. And I've got to find this bar on Sullivan street, by the way, that you mentioned, and I've got to find that. Place. I hope it's still, I hope it's still open <laughs> yeah. um, and survive the pandemic. But like, that's what we did. And we hung out at yeah. bars. And so I wrote a musical about hanging out at bars and trying to, you know, date people. <laughs> and I think that's a really common thing for your first show out of the gate. Mm. And for Lynn, that was his, you know, that was his neighborhood and community. I think what ends up happening though, is that it, because it is a really slickly produced Mm. like like blockbuster in a way that clerks super is not and neither is swingers there's some forgiveness of the fact that it's like a bunch of guys hanging out whereas this feels like oh it it looks and acts like a big blockbuster movie therefore it should have the things that big blockbuster movies have which are like dinosaurs eating people you know like like, or 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 a narrative or or i don't even know if it's more traditional narrative through lines or or characters that like the story tells you you should be I th- yeah, spending because, more time with or something. I don't know. Because in the, in the two examples that you mentioned, Clerks does have like a central through line about the, the main character not wanting to be there on his day off and having to negotiate the fact, you know, like there is a sort of a central character to kind of identify with and follow through. And same in Swingers, which is about Jon Favreau kind of like 
trying to get over uh, a, a terrible breakup and yeah. like his adventures as he tries to do that. Um, I think what happens in In the Heights, though, is that there is a, uh, a myriad of characters, uh, each of whom who are dealing with some negotiation of where they're going to end up. And I think there is this sort of hint at this idea that is pervasive about like where people are from and where they're going to move on to and what does community mean what in is that home? sense. Yeah. Like, what is home? Yeah, yeah. You know, Nina yeah. sings about that, this idea that, um, you know, it would have been easier for her if she'd stayed in Puerto Rico because that's where her people were yeah. and she didn't have this sense of community growing up. And then, you know, um, uh, Anthony Ramos's character, Yusnavi has kind of got the same thing, which is that he, be- he believes very wholeheartedly that life in the Dominican Republic was easier. Um, and so I think that is happening, but there's no sort of center to anchor that around towards. And if I'm not mistaken, in the performance, in, in the stage play, the mural that is created is of Abuela. Is that, is that I correct? Believe, yes. And in the movie, the mural is of the Dominican Republic in uh, Usnavi's bodega, yeah. right? Yep. So I wonder if this, it's almost like the center feels like if if it, if it if it was supposed to be Abuela and this mural of Abuela being put up then that feels like a center that I can kind of latch onto but because that is this powerful moment in the film as well yeah but when it becomes it, this thing about the Dominican Republic and, and and these different characters trying to negotiate that I I do find I I did find I got lost and I got lost a, in, the, in the in the sort of tapestry of it all there was another thing too. Now that you bring it up, so Uznave's whole thing is he wants to go back to the DR, right? Yeah. But he's only been there when he was like seven. Yeah. Yeah. And I, maybe this is cynical, old man me talking, but like, it's one of those things that like, I'm all about sort of going to where you're from and trying to get that sort of thing. But like, I had a hard time relating to the like, move it, changing your entire life based on something when you were like, oh, man, this was great when I was seven. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And, and, and then even so, like, when it came to the end with the painting of, uh, you know, and, and in the bodega and all that jazz, I, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. And then when he stayed, I was like, okay. But, <laughs> but weirdly, weirdly, if it was Abuela, it would make sense. And actually, giving giving that character more prominence would actually even pay off the blackout more abuela is the is the uh the the, 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 the consequence of the blackout her yeah. da- i mean it, it's not explicit but you gather the heat is bad for old people <laughs> this is this but is a problem but also like, i think the 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 reason to uh, for usnavi to stay is the story that abuela sort of tells in that in that um that could be that one reason about yeah. like struggling to you know make something of yourself and you know taking whatever you know whatever work you could find and like staying and actually holding on to and forming a community and that could be the reason you snobby stays i'm it would I, be it would be another through line and pull for him to stay where yeah. where in this it was that vanessa made a cool art installation <laughs> with spray paint pete <laughs> I was like, who uh, goes to this bodega to buy fashion as well? I was like, but no, I don't even thing? care about the logistics. It's a, it's a musical. I don't need it to be like realistic. <laughs> yeah. I, I just like, I, there, there was so many other times when he was with Vanessa that like, he could have like, I don't know, like it made sense to want to stay. And I don't understand what that moment was. And it feels like <laughs> if Abuela was on that wall it would have been the extra sort of like push that all of the pieces could have snapped together for that character. Mm. Um, 
I don't know. I'm nitpicking at this point. I, 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 I don't want to sound like I didn't like it either. That's the weird thing. Like I did not, I, I liked my time with this movie. I just thought it was longer than it was. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm Ryan. I, I feel like we, I, me in particular, has been like ragging on the, the things that I wanted out of this film as opposed to what I got. I'm curious then for you, what the experience was. Uh, you know, I, like in a way, you're the perfect audience for this, which is that it's been a year without musical theater, sure. and here is this. Here is the Transformers version of that. Uh, <laughs> right. And how Optimus Prime. Bumblebee, stop yeah. lubricating on the man. <laughs> yeah. How does how did how did it like? And I, I I definitely had that for the first thirty minutes of the movie. I'm curious how was that sustaining for you, or how did it make you feel? You know, I had a similar response to the one that you had, which is that I lived in New York for a long time. And I, and I lived in a, actually a, a pretty Hispanic part of Brooklyn. And mm-hmm. so like bodegas were, was, those were my lifelines, you know, like that's where yeah. I was getting my groceries that I could barely afford at the time. I was when I first moved to New York. And so like the, like, and street fairs were a huge thing. And just like, like as soon as it started, it made me just super homesick for New York. And mm-hmm. so like that was a real pull in for me to, to the entire film and just like this, this law and it was filmed pre pandemic. So it just like looks different and you know, like it's not, it doesn't look like a film that was made after the pandemic to say like, welcome back. It was made pre pandemic and now we are finally getting to see it. And they apparently really struggled because it was done. It was supposed to release last summer and they struggled about like, should we release it now? Because everyone needs it now and everyone's locked in their house. And apparently it was John Chu who said, no, like we, this needs to be seen. This is a chance for, for uh, Latin people to be seen on, in, 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 in a big, giant blockbuster movie. It's a lot like Crazy Rich Asians in that way. It's like it is, it is representation. It needs to be on the big screen. And, so, and I'm glad they waited because I think it hit really differently coming out. And mm-hmm. I realized that I'm, it's not just as a musical theater lover that, I'm, that I responded to it. I, I responded to it as a displaced New Yorker. And as I mentioned mm-hmm. at the beginning of the podcast, I'm, I'm moving back. And I, I just can't wait to get back there. And like, there is something about the summer in the city that mm-hmm. is, is oppressive and like a warm <laughs> hug at the same time. You know, right. like, and like those which they depict in the in the movie the the the, the hot breezes of the subway you know like yeah. there is just something that is just unlike where i grew up in the in the suburbs of boston that is just so unique to the to the city that i was like i i agree with you about some of the narrative thrust stuff i was just so happy to feel like that i was sitting in new york city on a hot summer mm. day that i could have sat there for hours, you know, and, right. and hearing that music and smelling the, you know, the, the, the corn with the, with the cheese on it and the, yeah. and the, and the hot stuff that my Irish stomach cannot tolerate, but I eat, <laughs> I eat it anyway. Um, like I just, I just wanted to be in that world. And again, part of it I think has to do with just where I am in my, in my geography and in my life. Um, and, and, and even probably less to do with, with me being a huge musical theater fan. It was more about like, man, do I want to go to a bodega and get a over caffeinated coffee and like, (laughs) and sit or an iced coffee, like an iced coffee on a New York city, hot pavement, you know, sidewalk, like, come on, like you're not going to beat that. Maybe that's the final point I'll make then is that Shahir and I are spoiled. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, granted, granted, the year, it's been a weird year in New York, Ryan. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> and, and it is getting back, and it's starting to feel a little more normal. 
Um, but uh, Shahir and I are here and have we're doing at least before it shut down. Like that was sort of the norm. So we haven't we have not had the time to miss it yet. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. did. We let me rephrase. We have, but not as much and not under a normal circumstance, sure. I guess that might be. Yeah. Uh, so, and I won't speak for you, Shahir, but maybe that is another reason why I came down a little a little uh, harder on this one is, you know, this, this, this felt like uh, territory I, 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 you know, I, I'd, I'd walked this before yeah. in a weird way. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't have that sort of like, oh, man. Uh, that 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 love affair for that that those moments in New York because I'm currently you know here <laughs> yeah yeah um, but, but in, dealing but with the AC yeah in, yeah. A, in a locked up version I mean yeah. I also I also say it made me feel young you know like that yeah. when you are in that part of your life when you are just like when you just have so many options and you're just like yeah you know the 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 problems that almost all of them except for Abuela are facing are like what am I going to do with my life and yeah. at, and at 41 I'm not asking those questions like I'm like right. I'll, you know what is what I'm not close to dying or anything but like what is left <laughs> but, to do yeah. in my life you know it's not a, we're kind of locked in yeah exactly yeah. locked in i have i have a wonderful wife and wonderful children but that that certainly limits your <laughs> options and the um it is when you're when you're 22 and you're just like there's infinite possibilities like that is a really exciting time in life and so again to drop in and and see that sort of youthful energy it, it, it yeah. is is fun yeah i th- I think there's a quality about being in New York in the oppressive heat. And, and like, I was born in Fiji, so I know about heat. Um, <laughs> but, but there's something about New York City and the subway and the lack of, you know, the fact that ACs are blowing hot air into the streets <laughs> and that we're all having to deal with it together. Yeah. There's this thing, and, like, you know, like, we can see it on the face of the Wall Street person who has to wear a suit to, yep. the, per- to the person who is, like, uh, at the bodega in flip flops and their shorts, you know, like there's a sense of like we're get we're all dealing with this together because we're forced to be together, and and that that is a quality about New York City that I do kind of love, um, and and I there yeah like I said in the first thirty minutes of this movie there was the sense it was like oh man. I can't wait till we're doing that. Like when we're, you know, you're fanning yourself outside and you're having to like, you're all trying to, you know, like lining up for iced tea or something like that or yeah. whatever it is you're drinking. Um, or the, the, the worst thing in New York city is going to a public pool and like dealing with like, you cannot care, you know, like going to a public pool in New York city is like going to prison at some point, you know, like everyone's yelling at you <laughs> because you cannot carry anything into the pool. So everyone's you get trying to one white what towel yeah. and you have to wear whites or grays. Yeah. 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 It's like, that it is, is like it. going to prison, but it's like, <laughs> At the same time, it's like there's something amazing about once you're in the pool, you know, yeah, like that, yeah. that you're just kind of cooling off and it's incredible. Um, I, I I have prefaced a lot of this by by the fact that I am uh, there is a dearth of, of like knowledge about musical theater in my repertoire of, of, of my understanding of cinema in particular, but also, you know, uh, on stage as well. And I, I love talking to you, Ryan, about this because. I think you've provided context in, within this conversation, despite my my qualms about why I'm kind of feeling like this didn't quite work for me as a film. But how to read it within the confine within the context of musical, not only of musical theater, but the history of musical theater and musical and musical adaptations for screens and how they can work and where the appeal can lie, uh, if even if it didn't for me in this particular instance. Um, but yeah, so we we would be 
um, amiss not to discuss the issue that is circulating around this film uh, in the last week, uh, particularly concerning uh, representation, particularly yep. concerning Afro-Latinx uh, Latinx representation. And Lin-Manuel Miranda has, has come out and, and spoken about this. And, uh, you know, I will say personally, uh, I am not well ver- like my approach to the musical theater side of it uh, I am not well versed enough in the nuances of that conversation though I can certainly see um, the issues that are circulating around it um, I will point listeners to um, Pajiba which has a great article by Brian Richards called We Need to Talk About In the Heights and Its Issues with Colorism which also mentions the topics around its uh, its uh, underperformance at the, at the box office as well and what that could mean for this particular film I went out on a limb last week and was hopeful that 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 this would trounce the Fast and the Furious in a Quiet Place and any other like blockbuster, and that that that, that musical theater was what brought us back to the movies. Um, but it turns out I might be wrong about that. Um, which what I'm was the box? That. I don't. I'm sorry, I didn't even follow like what the actual numbers were. Did it, you know? It's, they just it's, were low. Yeah, it has underperformed, and you know, the, there's an argument to be made that you know people are. Um, opting to see it on HBO Max, which is not, which is something that uh, the Quiet Place didn't uh, choose to do. You know, like the Quiet Place uh, Part Two, you could only see it in a movie theater, and so uh, uh, I believe the projection was for a twenty million dollar weekend, and it came at and at eleven, uh, which is a significant blow to a particular to this particular film as well, which is not yeah. got a, uh, yeah. a an IP attached to or a significant IP that can be um, leveraged for more films and that sort of thing. Right. right. Um, so there is obviously. Uh, 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 a much broader conversation around this um, that that is worth uh, visiting if you are interested in well as well. Um, I will personally say that I yeah again I, it, it is not Tom Hooper's Cats. It is not that experience where you're just like <laughs> what is it that I'm watching. It is more the experience that. I like what I'm watching, but I'm not satiated by the experience of what I'm watching. Sure. And that is the, the, that is a distinction I kind of want to make about that. Um, well, yeah, Matt, sort, sort of on that note, I feel like I feel like I, I've already kind of given my, my bit of wrap up. I feel like, Ryan, you helped me get to a point where I like and this is what I was kind of hoping to get out of this conversation. I understand more my feelings as to why was why I felt Good. the way I did around Good. the thing. Good. So in in your your um your teacher chops definitely <laughs> definitely Good. came out there and I very much appreciate Look, it. Look, in the uh, in the in the aver- in my advertising life, the best thing that we can do to get someone to see a musical is to get someone to see a musical. So if right. someone <laughs> if someone goes to see a musical, they are more likely to see the next one. So if, if no. nothing else, if you guys saw the saw the musical and you thought hey maybe i would like to see another one someday like that's great that's great i call that an absolute win that's a win uh, do you have any final thoughts on the film adaptation of in the heights no look i mean i think any time that a musical makes its way from the stage to the screen is an exciting opportunity sometimes it is a laughable opportunity like cats but any time that there are people who are non-musical people like yourselves who are spending an hour talking about a musical i i think i think that's a win and again i i hope it encourages you and your listeners to go down youtube rabbit holes and and learn more because i i find that the 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 more that people are exposed to the art form, I think they are more likely to to appreciate and love it. And it is like it is just like cinema, it is right. it is artists and writers and actors trying to to capture the human condition and communicate it to somebody else. They're just doing it through song, and it that that's the beauty of it. Which is, yeah. in my opinion, far more challenging than than <laughs> making a movie of it. Is like the, there's nothing that terrifies me more than the idea of. Um, 
like having to write a song about how you feel as yes. opposed to just talking yeah. about. You should it. take my class. I should. There you go. I should. <laughs> and I hope everyone who's listening uh, chooses to do the same as well. Yeah. Well. Well. This has been the only podcast about the film In the Heights. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Pleasure uh, to be here. Where can folks find you, take your class, talk to you online, give all the details of all of the things? Sure. So you can't take my class unless you go to Northwestern University. So move. So you can move. move. You can yeah. move. If you want to hear more about my writing or hear more of my writing, I write with Josh Salzman and we go by Salzman and Cunningham. So if you go on YouTube and click on and, and look up Salzman and Cunningham, you will instantly find us we have a youtube page with with a whole bunch of videos of our stuff there we also have albums that are available on spotify and itunes of our of our first two musicals i love you because and next thing you know and it, it's all it's all googleable from there if you start to get obsessed with the salzman and cunningham oeuvre the 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 rabbit hole that i fell down fell down recently was that you have just done an adaptation of michael collins or you've written the that's right the words for michael collins i was very curious are you a fan of the neil jordan film you know, I like the film as the film. Uh, yeah. the, the film, when it was put out, was saying something very specific about Irish relations, Irish-English relations, uh, or actually more internal Irish relations in the in the late 90s. And so yeah. it's like it's making a very specific political point that that our, our show is not based on the film at all. Um, right. I mean, Liam Neeson gives a hell of a performance. Uh, yeah. But it is, <laughs> That's a, yeah, it is, it is so organized around a specific point of view of Irish issues in the late 90s that I find it kind of hard to ex- kind of hard to extract into a contemporary context and yeah. and what the story we're trying to tell is much more universal about what happens when you oppress people and mm-hmm. what happens to those oppressed people if their response to that oppression is violent and right. so like that was it's not I mean it is obviously an Irish story but it's not just an Irish story we were really trying to dig into something about just like the again the, that that desire to tell uh, stuff about the human condition and that is universal as, as a fan of that of that particular film and feeling like it is a fairly underseen film I'm very excited to see what uh, to, to, to dig further and, and see what your adaptation does thank you yeah uh, Shahir, when you're not falling down uh, rabbit holes uh, dug and prepared by Ryan, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find myself digging myself out of the cave, that uh, out of the rabbit holes that I have dug myself into uh, at my website at www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are traveling to the open world video game version of New York City, where can people find you? <laughs> you, you can find me just cruising the streets of Liberty City over at my website at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com of my life and works also skeletor the number four pre's on instagram or emperor msk on twitter also please check out the good works we are doing over at extra credits the youtube channel that i am on what are we doing around this time Ooh, next by the time next week we'll be wrapping up our history series on the 30 years war uh, uh we'll be chaining the dragon as we're poetically calling it uh <laughs> with the treaty of at westphalia i believe there's some interesting stuff there and we'll be doing oh boy uh, we'll be doing some tabletop RPG exploration with uh, Nate Taylor from Dwarven Forge and the act of designing for design. So please check out all that stuff. Um, yeah, next week, Shahir. I have no idea. Ryan, there'll is there be a movie. You're excited yeah, to see? Ryan, tell us what movie we should do next <laughs> yeah. week. Oh my God, I are don't you? even. I'm like, I have two kids. I don't see anything. Yeah. What, do, what are they? What are they Bluey? excited about? Bluey. Do you watch a lot of Bluey? I don't know what Bluey is, no. Oh, you, you've got a six-year-old, is that right? I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, yeah. 
Okay, the, uh, I have a five-year-old, and the greatest show on television, actually, I think Rolling Stone called it one of the greatest sitcoms ever made, is a children's show from Australia called Bluey. I will check it's it on out. The Dis- it's on Disney+. Plus. We have that. And it's each, each episode is only seven minutes long, and I will say that I have cried through more episodes of Bluey <laughs> than I have through, um, through than, than I did at my child's own birth. <laughs> I will check it out. I will check it, it is, out. That it says is a lot about you, Shahir. Yeah. <laughs> exciting. Um, Anyway, well, until we speak at you next week, Ryan, thank you once again. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And uh, Yeah, and uh, we'll talk to you all later. Bye. Bye.